0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Thank you, Sister Jennifer, and uh, thank you, everybody. Beautiful service. So today, I would like to speak to the youth. I think normally uh, we speak to the adults and the youth listen in. This time I'm going to speak to the youth and the adults can listen in. And uh, because it is a youth presentation, uh, I'd like it to be more of a conversation. So please feel free to interrupt, to ask questions. uh, If you want to maybe stop and talk about something for a bit, that's fine. Um, The other thing I'm going to do is ask you to help me out. Uh, So, Brother Ray, I wonder if we could take that microphone and just have it here. So when we come to the scriptures, I'll ask you to read the scriptures If it's a long passage, then just read three verses and then pass it to the next person beside you. So that way um, I I don't have the scriptures in my text here and you'll be a great help to me. The Bible refers to this world as this present evil world. So what I'd like to do is just work with you uh, with a timeline that I call a fundamental framework. I think all of you are taking or have taken history and you're knowledgeable about history. What I'd like to offer is a framework, a way of understanding history. So this is a timeline and uh, just a way of looking at the the world and, and what's happened in the world with a simple structure. People so say, okay, well, that, that fits here, that fits here. Uh, there are other frameworks. This is just one framework that I'm offering to you. Uh, you'll notice uh, you're in the picture. It says you are here. Um, and so you'll see, four, you'll see a triangle on its side, which is really showing the convergence toward the future, that there's a foundation, and then everything is moving to the right, to the future, and we're very close to the end of this present evil world. What I'd like you to do, you'll see four parts of the triangle. Uh, in the last part is you. In the section just before that, I'd like you to write Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. In the section before that, I'd like you to write Abraham. And in the section before that, the first one, I'd like you to write Adam. So we got you're in the, the last block. Jesus Christ is in the second last block. Abraham is in the third. And in the very first block is Adam. We have four blocks because we have three divisions. The first division, just at the top, I'd like you to write pre-modernism. So that first division that separates Adam from Abraham, we're going to write (coughs) pre-modernism. In the second divider that separates Abraham from Jesus Christ, I'd like you to write modernism. And in or above the divider that separates you from Jesus Christ, I'd like you to write pre modernism. Oh sorry, post-modernism, postmodernism. So modernism is the divider in the middle, on the left of it is premodernism, and on the right of it is postmodernism. At the bottom, in that circle or oval below, I'd like you to write Revelation twelve verse 9. And while we're there, I wonder, Rachel, if you could look up Revelation 12 and verse 9 and just read that to us.
1: And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. And Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him.
0: Okay. So, where was he cast out? Where does it say he was cast out?
1: Into the earth.
0: And was anybody cast out with him? Yes. Who? The angels. Okay. So, we have Satan and all his angels on the earth. And what are they doing? What does it say that he's doing?
1: Deceiving the world.
0: Okay. So we're in this present evil age. So this whole passage of time, is we're we're in a passage of time where Satan is deceiving the whole world. So we're looking at a model of deception. And what I want you to understand here, as you look at the world that you have been born into, is that there is an agenda... Of deception, but there are different uh, emphases of deception as we go through the time. Uh, as we go through time, so let's go through time. First, we're going to look at the foundation of this world, and then we're going to look at the the different emphases of deception as we go through time. Okay, so turn with me to Hebrews one. And Andrew, maybe you could read for us verses eight to ten.
2: But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever
0: and ever. Okay, so stop there. What did he call the Son? How did he address the Son? To the Son, he said, What? O. Your
2: throne, O God.
0: O God. O God. So to the Son, he said, O God. Continue.
2: A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness.
0: Loves righteousness, he hates lawlessness. Continue.
2: Therefore, God, your God, has, a, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. So, therefore, God,
0: your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. More than your companions. Continue. And you,
2: Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth. When did he lay the foundation of the earth?
0: The beginning. In the beginning. So we are establishing very clearly that Jesus Christ is Lord, and in the beginning, he laid the foundation of the earth.
2: And the heavens are the work of your hands. Okay.
0: Very good. So who created the heavens and the earth? The Lord. Lord. Okay. Uh, Lily, can you read for us John 1, verses 1 to 3?
3: In the beginning was the world was the word and the word was with God
0: So so the word was with God when was the word with God In the beginning In the beginning
3: And the word was good
0: And the word was
3: was God was Her. God
0: So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God The the the, the scriptures are not equivocating this is not confusing this is a very clear statement In the beginning, we heard from Andrew that Jesus Christ created the earth and the heavens. And now we're hearing through Lily from the Apostle John that the Word, Christ, was with God. Not only was he with him in the beginning, he was God. Continue.
3: He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made.
0: So the scripture is confirming itself. That the word is the creator. And that everything that was made, was made by him. Okay. So in that first section, and just think of these as columns, we just want to establish that Jesus Christ is God. That Jesus Christ was with God. And that Jesus Christ created the heavens and the earth. So just just note that in the first section, in the foundation. Jesus Christ is the creator. Of the heavens and the earth. Now let's go to Luke 10. And Becca, if you can read Luke 10, verses 17 to 20.
4: the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name.
0: So there are 70 that went out. They've come back and they've realized that the demons are subject to them in the name of Christ.
4: He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority.
0: Where did he fall from? Heaven. Okay. So Christ is saying he was there when Satan fell from heaven. Rachel, you read earlier, Revelation 12, that it's not only him, he came down with his demons. And now these demons are subjected to the disciples of Christ in the name of Christ. And Christ is saying, I was there when he fell from heaven. Continue.
4: <coughs> I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing wow. will harm you.
0: Wow. Okay, so the disciples of Christ have been given this power to overcome the enemy. So now we're seeing there's an enemy. It's not just Christ. There's an enemy. There's somebody that was there in the heavens in the beginning. Or I should we say after the beginning. But before man. That fell from heaven like lightning. And the scripture shows us that he fell with his with other demons. Or other angels that became demons. And that their work is to deceive the whole world. So again, let's in this foundation. Let's make a note here. That Satan falls from heaven with the demons. Now, Craig, can you read Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14?
5: How you have fallen from heaven, morning star,
0: son of the dawn. Okay, so again we're getting confirmation that this being was in heaven and he has fallen from heaven. And the author here is astonished. How could it be that the morning star, the one that we were all looking at, the one that was so glorious, how can it be that he has fallen from heaven? Continue. You have been cast down to the earth. You
5: who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend
0: to the heavens. Okay. So now we're getting to the heart of the matter. So there was a problem. This being that was in heaven with the word and with God, there was something happening in his heart. What what, what was he saying in his heart?
5: I will ascend to the heavens.
0: I will ascend to the heavens. Continue. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Oh, so he has a throne, and where does he want his throne to be? Above the stars of God. He wants to be the highest. He wants everyone to look to his throne. What else does it say? I will sit enthroned
5: on the mount of, of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon.
0: Wow. And verse is that verse fourteen? No. Continue.
5: I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high.
0: Okay. So this now is in the foundation. We're talking about earth. And we have this being, this glorious being that has fallen from heaven. He's on the earth. And he has an agenda. And you read it. His agenda is, I will be like the most high. Everyone will worship me. I will be enthroned, I'll be above the stars, everyone's going to look at me. It's almost like I'm going to prove to you, God, that I'm better than you. You've thrown me out of heaven? Oh yeah? Watch me. I'm coming back. I'm taking revenge. So before we were born, all of this occurred. And now we know there's an agenda for the earth. And the agenda for the earth is to have the whole earth bow down and worship him. Not, all, not just the angels, but all of mankind. The whole earth is going to worship me. And God, you're going to watch. You will watch. You've made a mistake throwing me out of heaven. I'm coming back, and I will replace you. Everyone will worship me. So this is the world we are born into. What the Bible calls this present evil world. Now, we are sons of Adam. Let's uh, go to uh, Daniel. Daniel. Let's read Genesis 1 and verse 26 and 27.
6: Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness.
0: Okay, so stop there. So man is a created being. And what's the plan for creating man? In in, in whose image? God's image. So prior to that, we see God creating creatures, each one after its own kind. But when he creates man, he doesn't say, let us create man after mankind. So all of the creatures are created after their kind, but man is created in the likeness and image of God. What else does it say? Let them
6: have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the
0: air, and over the cattle. Okay, so there's all this creation. All of it made after its own kind. And then there's man. Made after the God kind. And set on the earth as a king. As a ruler. To have dominion. To rule over the creation. Okay?
6: Over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay?
0: So... When he created man in his own image, did that include or exclude the female? Included both. Included both. Okay, so that's a point we'll come back to later. Male and female are the image of God. So let's, let's uh, note that in the foundation, that man is made after the God kind, and the image of God is in male and female. And let's also note... That man was created to have dominion, to rule over all the creation on earth. Okay, uh, Ryan, can you read Genesis 3? And uh, we're going to read from 1 to 10, but uh, maybe just read the first three. 1 to 3.
4: Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast okay. of the
0: field. So where did we hear serpent before? Revelation twelve 9. Didn't Rachel say that the serpent was the one who deceives the whole world? And so here he is again, the serpent. And, and the Bible says he was more subtle than all the other beasts of the field. Well, the reason is Satan had possessed, had come into that creature. So all the other creatures are just creatures, but this creature is now the embodiment of the devil. And so all the creatures are interacting with Adam and and with Eve. When this creature is interacting with her, he's crafty. There is a plan. What's the plan? What's the agenda of the devil? So he's embodied now in the serpent. But what did we say earlier was his agenda?
2: To surpass God.
0: Exactly. Exactly. To have all the creation worship him. So he is on a mission to hijack and kidnap mankind. And take mankind away from the worship of God. And have mankind worship him and say to God, I'm better than you. But he does this now through the subtlety of the serpent.
4: And he said unto the woman, Yes, has God said you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, Of the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest
0: you die. Nathan, continue.
4: Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing s- knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate.
0: Okay. So how did the serpent get the woman to eat the fruit? What 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 was her rationale to say it's good to eat the fruit what do you think exactly so she determined in her mind listening to the serpent that this fruit it looks nice it's, it's pleasant to the eyes was it pleasant to your eyes do you know what this fruit was was it an apple or was it a mango do you know I don't know. I wasn't there. So it certainly wasn't pleasant to my eyes. She wasn't thinking about us. She was thinking about herself. So when she saw that there was benefit to herself, that she could promote herself, that's when she said, this is a good idea. So let's, in the foundation, realize that the first tool of deception is self-promotion. So the devil's going to appeal to your self-interest And this is how he deceives. So in the foundation, we want to note a couple of things. Number one is that Satan has an agenda. And it is to have the whole creation worship him as God. That's his agenda. Number two, God has an agenda. And it is to create man in his image and his likeness. And then number three in the foundation, we want to note that the first act of deception was to utilize self-interest. This will be good for you. He didn't say, this will be good for me. This will help me show God that I can get the creation to worship me. That's not how he sold it. He sold it by saying, this will be good for you. This will make you wise. You'll be better than you are now. God is trying to hold this back from you, but I'm here to help you. And she bought it. Okay, So self-interest in this foundation is the first act of the devil. Uh, can we read the rest of the passage to verse 10?
3: Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, In the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord.
0: So let's stop right there. This is the Lord. This is their God. This is their creator. And he's coming to visit them. And what is their response? Are they thrilled to see him? Are they welcoming to see him? What's their response? They're ashamed. And what do they do? Okay. Okay. So in the foundation, we see the alienation of man from God. So man is now separated from God in the foundation, from the very foundation. Okay, continue.
3: Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself.
0: Okay, Jesse, let's now go to Genesis 6 and verse 13.
3: And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth.
0: Okay, so we have Adam and Eve alienated from God, multiplying themselves. So now we have a population on the planet. And how is that population behaving? Are they worshipping God? Are they loving one another?
3: They're doing, I guess, the opposite of what God the would want.
0: opposite of what God would want. Who wants the opposite of what God wants?
3: Satan.
0: So whose will are they now doing?
3: Satan. So who
0: is their God? Satan. <laughs> Satan. Very good. So so the whole world at this time is worshipping Satan. And they are destroying Man made in God's image. Man made in God's image. They're destroying. And this is giving great pleasure to the devil. So we come now to Noah, who is righteous in the eyes of God. And God floods the earth. And it's basically a restart. So how many people come through the flood? Do you remember? How many people come through the flood? Eight. Okay, so we've got Noah and his wife his three sons, and their wives. So eight people come through the flood, and it's a restart. right? So God is just like, that's it, but he saves Noah, and we're now on the other side of the flood, and we come to Genesis 11. So, Rachel, can you read for us Genesis 11, and you've got the mic behind you, verses 1 to 3. Genesis 11. We're now on the other side of the flood. All of that evil has been washed away. Literally. Except for whatever is in the minds of the eight people. We know that Noah was righteous. We can't vouch for anybody else. Well, I guess we can say Shem. But anybody else, whatever is in their mind, whatever memories they have of the world before the flood, they're bringing that over after the flood. And so that's the opportunity for Satan to reintroduce whatever was happening before the flood. But now we come to Genesis 11, verses 1 to 3.
1: And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech.
0: Okay, so we spoke about that before. What's the difference between language and speech? What what does it mean to be one language versus one speech? Could you be of one language of a different speech? What would that look like? If if the whole world was of one language but of different speech... What what might that look like?
1: Different dialects.
0: Uh, Daniel. Exactly. So so languages the the words that w- the language we speak the, the physical language, speech is the ideology the concepts. So we could all speak English but have different concepts. So that would be one language, different speech. But here the whole earth is of the same language and the same ideology okay
1: and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that so they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there and they said to one another go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly and they had brick for stone and slime had they for mar- mortar
0: okay keep going
1: and they said go to let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered ab- abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Okay.
0: So this is now really the foundation of all civilizations. This, the whole earth was of one speech, one language. They were all together in this project of building this tower, basically to worship Nimrod. which And Nimrod is worshiping Satan. So the whole earth is, is following Satan's agenda of having the whole earth worship him. Okay? And what happens now, we know from the Tower of Babel that they're scattered. God confuses the language. He doesn't change the ideology, but he changes the language so they can't communicate with each other and they spread out and they all initiate their different civilizations. So whatever this ideology was, which had to do with the worship of Nimrod and his mother Samaramis, every civilization is founded with this concept. And this moves us into the second section. So we now move into pre-modernism. And in pre-modernism, the prevailing concept is mysticism, magic, supernatural. So all the pre-modern societies, every single one of them, believe in the supernatural. In the pre-modern world, you wouldn't get anybody saying, what we see is all there is. This is just a physical world. No one in the pre-modern world thinks like that. Every civilization has been initiated worshipping Nimrod and Semiram. And this begins the pre-modern world. So, and again, you guys are students, you're young people, you can look this up. Andrew. Uh, uh, Yes. Correct. Adam. So, oh, this is foundation. Good question. So this is foundation, then pre-modernism, then modernism, then post-modernism. So the foundation is what happened with Adam right up to the flood, and right up to uh, Nimrod. From, from Nimrod in the Tower of Babel, we now begin civilization. So, the Babylonian civilization, the Assyrian civilization, uh, China, India, all of these civilizations trace themselves back to this beginning. And every single one of them begins worshipping three gods. Nimrod, his mother... And their child. And we see this in every single civilization. So if you do your research, you can look. And and by the way, uh, the resurrected Nimrod becomes the sun god. And and Samaramis mother becomes the moon god. So every civilization begins worshipping the sun and worshipping the moon. Some civilizations emphasize the sun. And you'll see uh, when we get to Rome, it's all about the sun god. Which then becomes the son of God. But it's still Sunday worship. But when you look at a culture like Arabia. They emphasize the moon. So it's the moon god. And then the sun is secondary. But in all these cultures. Every single one of them. So you can look up. If you can jot down in this pre-modern world. Fohi. F-O-H-I. That is the god of China. Shiva. That's the god of India. Baal the god of Babylon. Nana, N-A-N-N-A, the god of Mesopotamia. Sin, S-I-N, the god of Sumeria, whose uh, father was Shamash and whose wife was Inanna. So you see the Trinity there. They all, all of them, if you research them, you'll see this Trinitarian concept with sun and moon. In Egypt, it's Osiris, Isis, and Horus. In Persia, it's Mithra. In Rome, it's Apollo, also known as Saul Invictus, the Invincible Sun. In Greece, it's Zeus, Hera, and Hercules. And in Arabia, it's al Ilah, or Allah. And then the Trinity are the daughters of Allah. Lat, Uzza, and Minat. So this concept of sun worship, moon worship, and Trinity is in every civilization. Every civilization begins this way. Because they all trace their origin back to Nimrod and Babylon. And the confusion of the language, but not the ideology. So they all take the ideology with them. And I won't go into details, uh, but if you research this, all of them are sexually immoral. And sexual immorality is a part of the worship. And in the pre-modern world, the fundamental concept is this. The gods determine our destiny. That's pre-modernism. The gods determine our destiny. Therefore, we must entreat the gods. The gods are organized. So every one of these cultures, they're all polytheism. They're all polytheists. But in every polytheistic culture, there is hierarchy. And either the sun god or the moon god is at the top. Then there's either a trinity under that god or that god is part of a trinity. And then there are all the other gods. And the other gods are local gods and have specific domains. So all of their worship is to entreat particular gods and to have them do something for them. Now, sounds crazy to us. But this is the reality of the pre-modern world. And this is the basis of idolatry. So idolatry is where we create an image to represent one of these gods. And then we're worshipping the image. Now, these human beings are intelligent people. They're not so silly to say, you know, that microphone is now my god and I'm worshipping and I'm worshipping this microphone. That's not pre-modernism. Pre-modernism is, I'm going to create an image that looks like this microphone. Because I know that this image pleases a certain spiritual being. And when I worship this image, I'm able to entreat this spirit. So the pre-modern world has relationships with the spirit world. And we see this very clearly with Egypt. We see it very clearly with Egypt. Egypt has a pantheon of gods all over different parts of different parts of Egypt. But the highest god is Osiris and then Isis and Horus. But there are, there are local gods. And each, everybody worships the, the big god, but then they also worship the local gods. And they wear amulets. They wear jewelry. All these things are to call the spirit. Let me put it this way. If we went on a trip, let's say we go to Russia, field trip, and as soon as we land, everyone's hungry, and we can't recognize, everything is in Russian, we can't recognize anything. But as we're driving, we're looking for a place to eat, and we can't read anything, we don't know whether they serve pork, what will they, we don't know. But as we're driving, we see the golden arches, we see a McDonald's. What would be your response if we're hungry, we're looking for a place to eat, we we don't know where we can eat, and suddenly we see a recognizable symbol? If I'm driving and you're in the van, what would be your response? And we're looking for a place to eat. Food. Okay, let's eat there. Right? We recognize this place. So the symbol means more. It's not just a, a, a yellow M. There's a whole meaning behind it. That we're able to look and recognize it and say, let's pull in there. This is why in pre-modernism, there are all kinds of symbols. If you look at ancient Egypt, you're going to see the crescent moon and the star. Because they're trying to appeal to the spirits. And they're trying to say, you are welcome here. That's why every religion, false religion, will have some symbol up high from the pre-modern world. To say to that particular spirit, that particular God, you are welcome here. Absolutely. Absolutely it does. The star of David, the cross, the crescent moon, and and many other very uh, obscene images are there to communicate with the spirit world. Now, let's go to... Exodus 20. Exodus 20. And Andrew, can you read verses 1 to 4? Exodus 20. So what we're seeing now is the children. Abraham. Actually, before we go there. uh, Genesis 12. Is where God makes this covenant with Abraham. Let, let's actually go there instead. Genesis 12. I think it's important. This is, this is, uh, we're now in this um, mystical age. Where everybody believes in the supernatural. Every, every society. In fact the supernatural is their foundation. There, there is this demigod called Nimrod. And every civilization worships him. They just call him different things. And they all believe in the spirits that he was in communion with. And so polytheism is a recognition that there are these different spirits that have different functions. And we set up idols to appeal to the different spirits. And that's the way they even went to war. One nation would war against another nation only if they believed their God could overcome that God. So the concept of a God of the whole universe would be novel to them. They they believed in local gods. But Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3.
2: Now the Lord has said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall
0: be blessed. Okay, so this is the covenant with Abraham. He's told to leave his family. The whole earth is full of idolatry. Even Abraham's father is into this pre-modern idolatry, calling the spirits. And God says to Abraham, leave your family. Set yourself apart. And I'm going to establish in you the model nation. And you will be a blessing to the whole earth. So in the midst of all this polytheism, in the midst of all of this worship of Nimrod, God begins a nation in Abraham. And he communicates to this nation how to be holy. And so let's now go to Exodus 20. Exodus 20. And so I think we're all familiar. This is where God gives the commandments to Moses so that he will give them to the children of Israel. We're all familiar with this passage, but let's think about this passage in the context of the whole world being deceived and the whole world being in communion with these demons that have been cast down to the earth and actually having a relationship with these demons to do things for them. And this is the context that Abraham is told to leave your family, leave your country, and I'm going to establish a nation, a holy nation in you and this nation will teach the whole world who the true God is. So now we come to Israel receiving the 10 commandments from Moses Exodus 20 verses 1 to 4.
3: And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you who brought you out of the land of Egypt.
0: Okay, so remember, Egypt is deep into this polytheism. They are deep. Everybody in Egypt is wearing different symbols to attract the different spirits. And this is a very powerful empire that has supernatural oversight and nobody dare go against these gods this is real but the God of Israel brought Israel out of this oppression
3: out of the house of bondage you shall have no other gods before me
0: okay so this God will not entertain the worship of of all these other gods so you've come out of a land the whole world is worshipping all these gods God is saying, I'm God. Go ahead.
3: You shall not make for yourself a carved image.
0: Okay. Now now we hear this commandment in the context of a polytheistic world that is in communion with all of these demons that is creating images to please the demon and to call the demon. This is the world that Israel is in the middle of. And God is giving the commandment, you shall not make these images. Go ahead.
3: Any in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is or is that in the water under the earth.
0: Okay. And the next verse.
3: You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God. am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father's
0: upon the children of okay so so there's this novel concept the whole world worships a pantheon of gods the whole world this nation is to worship one god and to have no idol uh, no idols this is completely novel completely different okay now compare that um, and if you can just turn to Ezekiel twenty-one twenty-one, just to show you how the world worked in this pre-modern era, Ezekiel 21 and verse 21. Go ahead.
3: For the king of, ba- of Babylon stands at the parting of the road at the fork of the of the two roads. Okay, so the
0: king of Babylon has to make a decision. He's at the fork, he's got a fork in the road, and he's the king of this great nation. Go ahead.
3: He shakes the arrows,
0: he. C- so he shakes the arrows. Go ahead.
3: He consults the images, he. He
0: consults the images. This is a great king. Th- this is a great ruler who has to make a decision, and he shakes the arrows, and he consults the images. Go ahead.
3: And he looks at the liver.
0: And he looks at the liver. So this is divination. They would cut open an animal. They would take out the innards. And they would read, the, the, the diviners would read the liver and say, okay, this is what you need. To, this is what the spirits are telling us you need to do. This is a great king. And this is what happens in the pre-modern era.
2: What is shaking the arrows
0: I, I, It's some sort of divination. I think it may be like throwing lots. So they do something with the arrows and how they fall. He's at a fork and he's got to decide which way they go. So I'm not sure exactly, but this is divination. They're calling on the spirits to guide the king. And this is this is how people ruled in the pre-modern era. Okay. So now, Israel is set apart in this pre-modern era. This is a, a world where everybody believes in the supernatural and everyone has a relationship with the supernatural. In fact, all the jewelry that is worn, is worn as charms, lucky charms, and omens to either protect or call different spirits. This is the pre-modern world. Israel is in the middle of all of this, and they're given the commandments. Do not create idols. Do not worship any other god. There's only one god. This is completely novel. Israel is to be the model so that the whole world can be blessed. Now, Rebecca, can you start reading for us? Jeremiah 44, beginning in verse 15. So the whole earth, the polytheistic earth, the earth that has been deceived by the demonic forces, those people are to learn from Israel the true relationship with God the the true way to be blessed so let's see how the how well this goes beginning in verse 15 of Jeremiah 44
4: then all the men who knew that their wives were burning incense to other
0: gods mm. along this with this is Israel now this is the people of Israel their wives are burning incense to the demonic forces go ahead
4: along with all the women who were present a large assembly and all the people living a lar-
0: was it a small assembly No. it was a large assembly these are the people of God this is a very large assembly confronting Jeremiah go ahead
4: and all the people living in lower and upper Egypt said to Jeremiah we will not listen to the message you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord
0: wow did I just hear that did you hear what I just heard these are the people of God. This is Israel. Jeremiah has come to them with a word from the Lord. They are all worshiping demons. And the people of Israel are saying to Jeremiah, we're not listening to you. Why? Let's continue.
4: We will certainly do everything we said we would. We will burn incense to the Queen of Heaven.
0: Wow. Semiramis, going back to the Tower of Babel. We, we, the people of God, we will burn incense to the Queen of Heaven. Why would they say this? Have they gone mad? Let's continue.
4: And we'll pour out drink offerings to her just as we and our ancestors, our kings and our officials oh, did. So this is
0: not just a recent thing. This is something that we're doing it and our ancestors have done it as well. Go ahead.
4: And our officials did in the towns of Judah. And And the the officials as well. And in the streets of Jerusalem. At that time we had plenty of food. and. Oh, this is
0: now the explanation. So all these people are worshipping these demons to get the rain to fall, to make whatever they need happen. They would worship the idol. They would consult the demonic forces and things would happen. This was real. Kings ruled this way. The pre-modern world, I don't want you to think of it as these sort of lunatics running up and down. I want us to have respect for the people who lived at this time. These were intelligent people. They were able to do things we cannot do today. And they understood the spirit world. So much so that the people of God are in the middle of all of this. And instead of the people of God prevailing and showing the people Here's how to conduct yourself. Here's how to ask God for blessings and how to receive blessings. Instead of that happening, they're looking at these other nations and they're looking at the results. These people could commune with the spirit world and make things happen. So the people of Israel are saying to Jeremiah, We're not listening to you. We, we will certainly do what we've done in the past because. It works. We've done it. Our ancestors have done it. We're not listening to you. Because when we were worshipping the Queen of Heaven, what was the the condition? What happened?
4: They they had plenty of food.
0: Plenty of food. They were well off. So today, we look at the pre-modern world as a bunch of imbeciles. A bunch of you know, we, we, we have evolved to become sophisticated, but back then they weren't so sophisticated. I'm going to put it to you that they were very sophisticated. And the ability to commune with the spirit world takes some sophistication, and they got results. So this is pre-modernism. Go ahead.
4: But ever since we stopped burning incense to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have had nothing and have been perishing by sword and famine.
0: Wow. So this is Israel. They were worshipping the queen of heaven and they were being blessed. When they stopped worshipping her, the blessings dried up. So they're going to go back and worship her because this stuff works. When we do these different rituals, it works. So this is the state of the pre-modern world. Okay, now we come to the modern world. So every civilization is polytheistic except for one. And that's Israel And even Israel has become polytheistic. We come into the modern world, and there's just a couple of names I'll ask you to write down, because the the modern world is defined by reason. It's defined by logic. So the pre-modern world is defined by mystery. There are these supernatural beings, and they govern us, and they determine our fate. But if we please them, they will help us. And if we don't please them, they will crush us. So we therefore have to figure out who they are and we have to please them. That's the pre-modern world. And I'm telling you, it's real. They're not imbeciles. Great kings with great empires ruled this way. We, we don't have the empires that they had. And this is how they governed. And you saw that with the king of Babylon consulting the diviners to figure out what to do. Okay. The modern world is not like the pre-modern world. The modern world is defined by logic and reason and science. So it's all about let's think about this. The gods, the gods are not the explanation. There, there is a better explanation. And this begins with people. Uh, you can look up on your own time some names. Thales is really uh, Orpheus and Thales. Pythagoras Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, to name a few. But these are sort of the, the, the heavy hitters. When these guys come on the scene, what we see for the first time is some powerhouse intellect. Th- these are real thinkers and very deep, profound thinkers. And they basically reject the gods. Th- this is not the explanation for reality. And they begin thinking about other things. What what really is the source of reality? What really is the nature of reality? And they begin to reason. And they really set the modern age in motion. Jot down next, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was a student of Aristotle. Aristotle was a student of Plato. Plato was a student of Socrates. Socrates is really... The standout philosopher of the Greek world. And and everybody, you're either before Socrates or after Socrates. But Socrates is the one. And then he taught Plato and Plato taught Aristotle. Aristotle taught Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was so amazed with all of this philosophy and culture. That he made the determination and set as his objective to make the whole world Greek. To, to basically save the world from itself, to, to turn the world to this great way of thinking. And that's what he did. He went out conquering the known world and introducing to the known world this Greek philosophy. Okay. Next in this modern era, I'd like you to jot down Augustus Caesar. He was the head of the Roman Empire and where Alexander the Great Brought Greek philosophy and Greek language to the world, what Augustus Caesar brought was order and infrastructure. And what we call the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. So now the whole world can be at peace because it's being governed so well, and we can put roads and infrastructure, and this is setting us up for the preaching of the gospel. So now the gospel can be preached in Greek, which the whole world speaks and it can be carried on Roman roads which give us access to the whole world. And this the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in the modern era when people are thinking in terms of reason and rationale and not so much the gods. Turn with me to Acts 17. And who's up next? Craig. Acts 17. in Acts 17, begin in verse 16.
5: While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of
0: idols. So, so we're in the modern era, but the other thing I want you to notice here is that as we move from one era to the next, the old era does not disappear. Think of it as cause and effect. So all the things that are in motion in the previous era continue in the next. They just get demoted. And there's something else that rises, but the previous influence doesn't disappear. So there's this gathering force of deception over time. So now we're in the modern era. But the pre-modern thinking is still with us. Go ahead. So the whole city is given to idolatry. And this is in the midst of the philosophers coming up. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day. And notice that he reasoned. So we're in the modern era now where reason matters and we can reason with people. In the pre-modern era, there's no reasoning. This is the God. You either serve him or we'll kill you. So go ahead. Then verse 18. Notice this. A group of Epicurean and Stotic
5: philosophers began to debate with him. Okay.
0: So this is now the philosophers. They're debating with Paul. Go ahead. Some of them asked,
5: what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection.
0: Okay, now drop down to verse
5: thirty-three and thirty-four. At that, Paul left the council. Some of some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dion- Dion- Dionysius, a member of the Arapagus,
0: also a woman n- named Demaris, and a number of others. Okay, so what we're seeing here now is the gospel being preached to the Gentiles and the Greek philosophers listening to it and coming into the church. And this happens in the modern era. So I just want you to jot down a couple more names in this era that you can research. Tertullian, T-E-R-T-U-L-L-I-A-N. Tertullian T E R T U L L I A N Origin O R I G E N Athanasius A T H A N A S I U S and Augustine a U G or Augustine, A U G U S T I N E. These powerful intellects come into the church, which was Hebrew, it was a Jewish church, and they take over. And they redefine Christianity. And then in this section I'd like you to jot down the name Constantine. Constantine. So Constantine uh, becomes the emperor of Rome and he embraces this false Christianity as the religion for the Roman Empire. And he's a pagan worshipping the sun god as the pagans do. And he combines the Greek philosophical Christianity with his paganism to create the official version of Christianity, which becomes the Roman Catholic Church. From there... We get the Protestant churches protesting against some of the uh, excesses of the Roman Catholic Church. And all Christianity comes out of this Greek philosophy and this worship of paganism. And that happens in the modern era. And these are heavy hitters. This is some very deep logic that they use to build this church, to build this doctrine. So you can't just come along and say to them, uh, we don't believe in the Trinity, because they're going to come back with the most powerful intellectual arguments to show you that the Trinity is God. Because these are powerful intellects. And that's what the modern that's, – that's the deception that Satan uses in the modern era. Okay? Now we come to the postmodern era. And, and in this era as well, by the way, are, are, is the Renaissance and the emergence of science, Galileo, Copernicus, uh, Isaac Newton – And all of this strikes a heavy blow to Christianity. Because now Christianity begins to look like mythology when it's up against science. And so we see now the the rise of atheism and agnosticism in the modern era. No such thing as an atheist in the pre-modern era. Everybody knew that the spirit world influences the physical world. It's in the modern era With the Greek philosophers, everyone trying to think of what is reality and then science that we see the rise of atheism and agnosticism, which are really, again, tools of the devil. So atheists are tools of the devil. In fact, an atheist cannot enter some of the highest levels of power in our land because one of the requirements is you must belong. You must be religious. They don't care which religion. Because they know they're all the same. But you must have a religion. You cannot be an atheist to enter the halls of power. Because that's just ridiculous. This is all about Lucifer having control over the earth. Okay. So we talked about the Reformation and the Renaissance in this era. Okay. And the, the, the um, deception here is reason. We're going to help man reason his way out of serving God. And either serving the Trinity... Or rejecting God altogether. But the emphasis is logic and science. Now we come to. And and by the way in the modern era. It's all centered around Christ. It's all centered around Christ. Christianity is the rule of the day. The Roman Empire is Christian. And the modern era rises in the context of Christianity. So you're either supporting a false concept of Christianity. Or you're tearing down Christianity and promoting science, atheism, agnosticism, or even Islam. But it's all focused on tearing down or building up Christianity. That's the modern era. Now we come to the postmodern era. And I have you here. And the reason I have you here is the postmodern era is defined by you. The pre-modern era reality is set by the gods and we need to please the gods. In the modern era, reality is what it is and we have to discover it through science, through logic, through reason. We're trying to discover reality. So the modern era is really all about structure, trying to understand the structure of the world and conform to it. The post-modern era is about deconstruction. So write that down for the postmodern era. It's about deconstruction. And you can look up uh, two names, Jacques Derrida, D-E-R-R-I-D-A, Jacques Derrida, and Michel Foucault, Michel, M-I-C-H-E-L, Foucault, F-O-U-C-A-U-L-T. These are the philosophers and they really came uh, to bear around the 60s, 1960s. And that's when the postmodern era began. That are the, the fathers of postmodernism. Okay. Jacques Derrida basically said that structure is embedded in language. The way we speak to each other reinforces the structures that govern us. Therefore, he concluded, we must change language to destroy structure. And this is where the whole concept of political correctness comes in. That you're not allowed to say certain things because that will reinforce existing structures. So we're going to force you to talk a certain way so that we can tear down those structures. Because we don't believe that reality is defined. We we don't believe in reality. We believe reality is subjective. And who are you to say that something is real? Why can't I say something is real? So there is no such thing as, in the postmodern world, there is no such thing as reality. And this is the governing deception today, that there's no such thing as reality. Reality is subjective. You can define reality, I can define reality. So you can't say that because that's supporting existing structures. Foucault, his push was against power structure particularly, that he wanted to turn power structures upside down. He was also a mentally ill man and wanted to challenge the concept of mental illness, that he thought that mental illness – who are you to say I'm mentally ill? How do you know you're not mentally ill? So this is the whole postmodern thrust And both of these men were extremely, extremely immoral. So who are you to define morality? What is morality? And in fact, uh, Foucault himself died of AIDS as a result of the life that he led with uh, homosexuals and transvestites. We mentioned in the foundation that God created man, male and female. That male and female is the image of God. In postmodernism, we must tear that down. And that's why there's this push to redefine family. That's a structure. Who are you to say that structure is valid? Let's tear that down. Religion, particularly Christianity, is being torn down in the postmodern era. Because there's no predefined reality. It's all subjective. We find, initially, the smartest people get to define reality. We call them the intelligentsia or the intellectual elite. So the academics get to say what's real. And they get to say what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say. What is politically correct? It's all defined by the intellects. Because they believed, if they are the smartest, they can define reality. As this is unfolding then, we're seeing different versions of reality vying for, for, for predominance. One is the intellectual view of the world. So you're seeing an agenda being pushed by the intellects and being worked in the education, your educational system. That's one version of reality. We're seeing another version of reality being pushed by technologists. So will reality be a push-button future, where everything is high-tech? That's another version of reality that's being pushed on you. Another version of reality is Wonderland, where every day you get up and you play. And so technology is converging with this version of reality To give you the best headphones. Sound like you wouldn't believe. So that you'll spend your whole day listening to music. That is indoctrinating you. We will give you the best high definition television. So that you can spend your whole day hypnotized. Watching it. So the technologies are coming online for you. For your generation. That are hypnotic. And are keeping you. Distracted from reality. What the postmodernists did not predict is that when reality is up for grabs, the strongest bully defines it. And that's worth writing down. The strongest bully defines reality. So, we find ourselves now, or you find yourselves now, in an era that the definition of reality is up for grabs. And everything is loose, everything is unhinged. And now, what we have to watch is who is strongest? Who gets to say, This is reality? And what we see now is the philosophy. The ideology of Nimrod, the mighty man of war, the mighty hunter, that philosophy is winning. And we'll just wrap up. I'll ask you to read for me. Who is our next reader? Daniel. I'll ask you to go to the book of Daniel. And, and while you're going there, just, just um, an aside. Lady Gaga, okay, she, I think it was in 2011, launched a video called Born This Way. I, I want you to know this. Even though we're here in the postmodern world, the effects of the worlds from thousands of years ago continue to act on us. And as an example, if you were not in the church and you're just a a youth and you're following Lady Gaga and she issues this new uh, song called Born This Way. And apparently at the Grammy Awards, I didn't see it, but it's out there. She stayed in an egg for three days and three nights. And at the Grammy Awards, she was hatched. And when she came out, she sang... Born this way. Now, if you're not looking at the timeline of history, you're just watching that and you're saying, wow, how creative. But if you understand the timeline of history, you're saying, wow, pre-modernism returns. Because all the people that worshipped Ishtar, every spring, would look for the Ishtar egg. Because Ishtar said and taught them that she came down from heaven out of an egg. And that's how she came to earth. So Lady Gaga is positioning herself in in the minds of your generation as Ishtar to be looked up to and worshipped. And that's why what we see here is even though we're here and there's a new way of deception from the devil, which is no one defines reality. Everyone defines reality. The bully defines reality. Prior to this, logic defines reality. Prior to this, the supernatural defines reality. All of this in our era, every tool of the devil is acting on you today. All of it. You're being, you're being bombarded with every mechanism now. And, and I'm just giving you an example Beautiful Bose headphones that I can hear every sound, high-definition television that I can see every possible detail, and I'm just mesmerized in this, and I'm being fed Ishtar, the Ishtar egg. Beyonce had a video where she came out dressed like a robot. If you're not looking at this timeline, you're saying, how creative. If you're looking at the timeline, you're saying, this is Ishtar again. This goes back to a movie called Metropolis, which they were trying to create the perfect woman and ended up creating a robot that could morph into a woman that would then dance for the man, and she was the whore of Babylon. So the people who know all of this are positioning to you, saying, isn't this cool? Beyonce is a robot, and they're manipulating you, and they're saying, this is Ishtar, and you will worship Ishtar. So pre-modernism doesn't disappear. These people were not fools. There is a spirit world. And they knew how to commune with that spirit world. And to this day, pre-modernism, that concept still prevails. But we also have modernism, where it's all about logic and evolution. And and, uh, I should have mentioned Darwin in the modern era. And science, yeah, we've got that too. And we've also got post-modernism. Where no one defines reality and everyone defines reality. And therefore the bully defines reality. And uh, Daniel, let's read Daniel 8. Daniel 8 verses 23 to 25. This is what the intellects did not understand when they thought they would create a postmodern world where they thought the academics can define reality and what we find is they're losing they're losing the grip because the bully when everything's up for grabs the bully defines reality daniel 8 verses 23 to 25
6: and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understand sinister
0: schemes. Okay.
6: His power shall be mighty. And that
0: understands sinister schemes, by the way, we're going back to the pre-modern approach, where he understands how to commune with the spirit world. Go ahead.
6: His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Not
0: by his own power. He understands
6: how to commune. He shall destroy fearfully and shall Ah. prosper and thrive. So you're
0: the academic and you thought you could define reality. And this guy shows up and he destroys. Go ahead. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Okay. So now we see what the agenda is all about. In the midst of all of this, there has always been a holy people. There has always been a remnant from Abraham that has been faithful to God. And Satan has always been after that remnant. And now here we are at the end of time. I don't know how much time is left, but it's not a lot. We're at the end of time. That's where we are now. That's where you are. And Satan has one agenda. I will be the most high. All creation will worship me. And God has set you aside as holy people. And Satan wants to destroy us. And there are many ways that he can destroy us. So one of the things I'll say to you, as young people particularly, be careful of your entertainment. If there's entertainment that is really, really popular, and the whole world is into it, I'd advise you to shy away from that. And maybe be a bit more circumspect about who you decide you'll follow. Because there's an agenda here. Satan deceives the whole world. That means there's stuff happening that we don't fully understand. But if we follow the scriptures... Satan can't touch us. Go ahead, Daniel.
6: Through his cunning he shall deceit to prosper, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy he many shall in shall exalt himself prosperity. in his heart. Go ahead. He shall destroy many in their prosperity, he shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means.
0: So that's where we are now. This is ahead of us. The bully gets to define reality. We need to know what reality is. And reality is in the word of God. So this is a framework that I just wanted to offer to you as a way of understanding the world that we live in and putting some context behind the current day, this this present day. This didn't just happen. This has been thousands of years in the making. And there is this gathering force of deception that, that every tool that Satan has used through time They are all applicable now. Before we close, let me just get some feedback from you and maybe from the parents in terms of any thoughts, concepts, or questions. Did did this make sense? Did it make sense? Yes. Yes? Okay. Is it helpful? Yes. Okay. Um, Questions, comments from anybody? Did you hear anything I said? (laughs) Uh, Your thoughts on maybe the legacy of pre-modernism in a post-modern world. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that pre-modernism is over and done with? Or do you accept the proposition that I'm making that these effects continue to be with us today? They just may be undermined. They're not as a higher priority. So in the the modern world, pre-modernists are kind of looked down upon as superstitious. But they're still there. In the postmodern world, modernists are looked down upon as, as uh, bigoted or um, s- stuck in the past, old school. So it, it, modernists don't disappear. They're just looked down upon. Pre-modernists don't disappear. They're just looked down upon. Um, yes. Yes. Very woo, ex- Write that one down. Melting pot of deception. Very good. It's by any means necessary. <laughs> Correct. Very good. Very good. I would say that it should interest us in the sense that we need to be wise as serpents. That means we need to know the devices of the devil. Because if we don't know, he's a deceiver. We're there thinking, oh, this music's wonderful. This is great. We have no idea. I'm worshiping Ishtar. If I actually know who Ishtar is, then I can recognize the deception. So we need to be wise as serpents. But I, I very good insight. Very good. Parents, comments, questions, thoughts. I think there's a lot of things that we sort of dismiss as a sort of, yeah, soul has felt it. What if he's right? What if they've all done this? Very good. Very good. So, so we want you to be joyful. It's good to listen to music. It's good to dance. It's good to have friends. It's good to have fun. We're not saying, you know, be boring and do nothing. Just read your Bible. We're not saying that. We are saying Be careful. You are the holy people. You are set aside. And Satan has an agenda to destroy you. But, but be wise. And so I hope this framework is something that it's really just a jumping off point. It, I think it's a way of looking at history in a very simple structure. There's the foundation. There's the pre-modern world, very superstitious world, but with reason, with results. There's the modern world, very scientific, reason, logic. And then there's the post-modern world everything's up for grabs and when everything's up for grabs the bully wins this has been a podcast from the burlington congregation of the church of god international we hope you are blessed by it to find out more about cgi burlington visit our website at cgiburlington.org